You know, for the last 60 years, uh, I started preaching when I was 20. And so it's been 60 years just about. Uh, I've seen a tremendous change in organized religion. Uh, when I started in 1957, at 58, there were a lot of conservative churches, a lot of Bible-believing, uh, spirit-filled pastors, and the church still had an influence. Uh, organized religion did on, on the society. But liberal theology has come in and eaten the heart out of organized religion. Most major denominations I do not believe in the authority of the scripture. They do not believe that Jesus is the only way. So my hope is not in organized religion. There are many wonderful Christians spread throughout different organizations, denominations. But organized religion in America as a whole is not a help. It's a hindrance. So, but you know what? God has his people. I used to call it the remnant. Well, the remnant is the church. I mean, the remnant's the church. It's the people that are born again, in, in whose body the Holy Spirit, in whose body the Holy Spirit dwells, who are not perfect, but who are living righteous, godly lives, seeking to be a difference wherever they are. There is a strong body of Christ throughout this land, and a minority, way by far, way by far. But church has never been in the majority. It's always been in the minority. So we don't need to be discouraged. We need to say, God, raise your church up, your people, not organized religion. Raise your church up. Raise your people up. Let us be light. Let us be salt. Let us stop the decay and, the, and overcome the darkness that is in this land. That should be our prayer, and we should be a part of it as much as you can, as we can. Well, I don't know why the Lord does it to me. I think he's just testing my faith. But I had my message prepared last night and went to bed earlier than usual. But at quarter of nine this morning, God changed my message. Now, that's not much time. We start at 930. Thank God I preached this before. I'd be sunk. But, you know, he knew who was going to be here. He knew you were going to be here. And so he just said, you just, I want you to preach it. So I sat down and quick as I could wrote it down some notes about it. I preached it one time before when we were at Davidson. It's called what to do when you don't know what to do. I preached it at Davidson and we wanted to kind of get ourselves known in the community. So we sent out a card and on the card we said, some of you out there do not know what to do. But come here our pastor Sunday, and he's going to preach on what to do when you don't know what to do. Well, this young man that I knew who had grown up in Cottage Hill showed up. And I recognized him immediately. And he said, Pastor, he said, uh, for four, five, six weeks or longer, I've just been, and, and I've just had this feeling that of helplessness, and then I don't know what to do, and I didn't know which way to turn, and I didn't know how to get out of it. And when I read that card, I said, I'm going to go to church and find out what to do when I don't know what to do. You know, um, we all get to the place in our life where we have our back to the wall. We would like to think that we always have the answers. But the truth is, most of the time, 
We don't have the answers. And there comes a time when we all feel and say, well, look, I, 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 and I'll be honest. Lord, I've done everything I know to do. I don't know what to do in this situation. I just don't know what to do. And somehow you've got to show me what to do. But I'm going to tell you the hard thing. When you're in a situation where you're struggling, and it could be any number of things, and you don't know what to do, you find it hard to hang in there and find like a, all the demons of hell are trying to keep you from praying. And every circumstance is trying to distract you. And, and so many times, it, it's just, it seems like the intensity of the battle hinders us in doing what we really in our heart would know what to do. But we just feel kind of beat down. And, and so... Uh, I just want to share with you this morning what the Lord showed with me, uh, shared with me a number of years ago, and uh, it, it, it is what to do when you don't know what to do. There was a man in the Bible, look at Second Chronicles, and I'm going to preach just out of this chapter. I'm not going to get out of the 20th chapter of Second Chronicles, but I want to, uh, you to look on the screen, and you'll see, I'm not going to try to, this Bible's too heavy, I am not going to try to hold this thing. I'll have, it, I'll have Bible elbow if I do that. So I'm going to put it right there. I'll just use a screen. In, in verse 12, Jehoshaphat was a godly king. He had destroyed the high places. He had torn down the idols. And, it, and he had brought the nation back, that tribe back, brought them back to the consciousness of, an awareness of Jehovah God, and they were in the best shape spiritually they had been in a good while. However, he got word that the Moabites and the Ammonites and the people from Mount Seir were coming against them. And needless to say, he knew that they were outnumbered. Here, here are three, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the people from Mount Seir. He knew that they were outnumbered. He knew that in their own strength and power, they did not have a chance. And so he, this is what he said in verse 12. You can, see, you can see his desperation. Oh God, will you not judge them? Here come these people, the Moabites. God, will you judge them? We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. Now, wait a minute, Jehoshaphat. You're a godly king. God had used you to restore Israel to a good place spiritually. And now you're telling him, the Lord, God, I ain't got any power against this multitude. And Lord, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know what to do. He said, but, listen to this, our eyes are upon you. Boy, I'm glad he said that. He said, I'm not going to look at just the enemy. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And, you, you know, we all have felt that way in our lives. Lord, I don't have any power that I know of against this. I can't seem to overcome it in my own flesh. I know I can't. I know I can't. But I tell you what, my eyes are on you, Lord. And you're going to have to show me what to do. Well, if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 20, he did know what to do, and he started doing it. 
I mean, he said, Lord, we don't know what to do. But man, he started right off and he, he did about five or six things. And every one of them led to them having victory over the enemy. And the first thing that he did when he didn't know what to do was he set his face to seek God. He set his face to seek God. That's found in verse 2 and 3. It says, Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and, and, and they are in Hazan Tamar. And then he goes on and said, Now look at what he did. And Jehoshaphat feared and set his face to seek the Lord. He knew exactly what to do. He knew the size of the enemy. He knew it was greater than his own ability or power. But he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now, you know, you say, well, Brother Fred, I do know this. When I don't know what to do, it may be a circumstance in my marriage, with my children, with my finances, with my health. It could be any number of things, just to where the enemy is discouraging me. I pray. I know you do. And you keep praying. You say, I read the word. I hope you get in the Bible and seek God when you don't know what to do. But, you know, there was something about Jehoshaphat here. It says he set his face to seek the Lord. And he goes on and says in that verse, and, he, and all Judah, he called all Judah to, be, to pray in the fast. So all the people of, of Judah were praying and fasting for God's direction of what to do as they faced the Moabite and the, Tam, uh, uh, and the Ammonites. Now, let me tell you what it means to set your face to seek the Lord. This is very, very important. I know you say it's praying, but no, let, let me tell you. I see a few things that Jehoshaphat did. First of all, we have to remember the God that we're seeking. We have to remember the God that we're seeking. And, 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 and look at what he said in verse, uh, verse 7. He remembered. Now, I know who I'm praying to. Are you not our God? who drove out the inhabitants of this land we're in before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. There's one statement in there. He was remembering what God had done, but he made this statement. He said, and you gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. Jehoshaphat knew what God had done. He knew that God had made a covenant with Abraham and that God would keep that covenant, that this land would be theirs. And so he, he said, well, Lord, I know who I'm talking to. You are a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And so I know you're going to hear my prayers and I know you're going to answer my prayers and I know you're going to act on my behalf. Let, let me tell you something. Now, God made a great covenant with Abraham. And we're descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham. But I'm going to tell you something. The covenant God made with us is far greater than the covenant he made with Abraham. Man, we're in the new covenant. We're in the new covenant. 
I mean, based on better promises. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. It's based on better promises. And God said, I will be your father and you shall be my children. And, you, and, I, and, I, and your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. And I will dwell among you. Let me tell you something, friend. I don't care what you're going through. If you're saved, you've got a God who made a covenant with you through his son, Jesus Christ. And God will keep his covenant. So just don't say, well, God, I don't know where you are and what you're thinking and what you're doing. No. He's some covenant-making God. He made a covenant with you in Jesus Christ. He's not going to break his covenant. So you've got to remember the God whose face you've set to seek. He's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. Also, you've got to remember his awesome power. Verse 5 and 6. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And said, now I want you to, he's remembering God's awesome power. I want you to look at this. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not in heaven? Now listen to this. Do you not rule over all kingdoms of the nations? Now wait a minute. He's praying in faith right now. He's not looking at the Moabites and the Ammonites. Man, he, he, he knows God is a covenant-making God. Now he's praying in faith. He said, and do you not rule? Over the kingdoms of this earth, of the, uh, kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand there's not, is there not power and might that no one can stand against you. I want to read that again, and I want to believe it and confess it. You're the God of our fathers. You're, you're God in heaven. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand against you. I don't know what battle you're fighting. I don't know what's going on, but I'll tell you one thing. No one can withstand the God that you worship and serve if you're in Jesus Christ. He is, has awesome power. And sometimes we, just, we forget that not only has God made a covenant with us, but man, he is all-powerful. He's absolutely, he spoke this world into being out of nothing. But there's another thing. When you set your face to seek the Lord, when you say, Lord, I feel helpless in this situation, and I don't know what to do. I, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So you set your face to seek God. You remember the God you're seeking. He's a covenant-keeping God. You remember his awesome power and might demonstrated in your life in the past, times that you have seen the power of God in your midst. But then you remember God's faithfulness to you in the past. I want you to look at verse 7. He says here, verse 7, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before you, before your people Israel, and gave it to the descendants of Abraham? He said, God, I remember what you did in the past. I remember not only could no kingdom or power stand against you, you have might over it, but I remember how in the past you faithfully, faithfully did this on our behalf. And let me tell you something. When you get in a situation where you kind of feel helpless, because you are, and you don't know what to do, it would be good for you just to step back and say, wait a minute. 
you know, I've known the Lord for five years or one year or 10 years or 15 years. You know, God's been faithful. Sometimes I didn't understand his hand and I had to trust his heart. But God's been faithful. Great is his faithfulness. And when you remember how God, and every one of you can do this if you're a Christian, you can go back and remember how God has been faithful to you in the past, how he answered that prayer, how in an unexpected way he intervened on your behalf, and you just stood back and said, well, I know one thing, this is God. You know, God let's, let, let it happen to me when I was real, just getting started in the ministry. He showed me his faithfulness in a way that I never got over. The first summer after I had surrendered to, uh, to preach the gospel, I worked as a camp director in a Christian camp. But the second summer, I had already told the Lord in the fall, I said, now, Lord, I want to spend all summer preaching. I want to preach somewhere all summer. I said, now, Lord, I, I'm just asking you, and I started praying in September. I want you to open doors for me. I'll be out of school like he didn't know. I'll be out of school. I'll have plenty of time. Open doors for me. And, and so I started praying September, October, November, December, January, February, March, April. One day, Ann and I were sitting at the breakfast table. We didn't have any children at that time. And she looked at me and said, well, you'll be out of school in about three weeks. What are you going to do? I said, I'm going to preach. She said, where? I said, I don't know. You don't know? I said, no, I don't know. Well, God better tell you pretty quick. Because you, well, you need to make some money this summer. <laughs> so finally, I just <laughs> kept praying. And finally, she said, I came down to it. She said, have you got any place to preach yet? No. She said, I suggest you get a job. <laughs> and so, would you believe it? I got a job at the Western Auto. Now, some of you are too old to know what the Western Auto is. They were famous for their bicycles. And I was in there, and I was one miserable human being. I, was, I said, God, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. This is not what I had in mind. I am not enjoying this. I'm trying not to murmur, but I'm not doing too well. I, I really, this isn't good. <laughs> well, we were eating breakfast one morning. Knock came on the door. And I was at the University of South Carolina on a football scholarship. So Coach Jesse Berry was at the bottom of the steps. He said, Fred, come down here a minute. We lived up in a, a government housing project on the second floor. Rent was $25 a month, and it included the utilities. Those were the good old days. That's a true story. Lord, I'm glad it was because I didn't have no money. And he said, I got good news for you. He said, I got you a job for the summer. I said, tell me about it. He said, there's a state park uh, on Edisto Island right off the coast of South Carolina. And the superintendent for that park is, has gotten sick, and he's going to have to be away all summer. And so you and your wife can go down to Edisto Island, live in the superintendent's house, and you can just cut the grass and oversee the park. I said, really? I said, is it close to the ocean? He looked at me and said, it's an island. <laughs> I said, you know, I didn't tell him. I said, that's a lot better than the Western Auto. So I regretfully resigned at the Western Auto. And we packed up our little old folk, folk uh, it was a Falcon then, man, that, that was unreal. That's the worst car I've ever seen. And we drove down to Eddie Still Island. 
across the bridge onto the island. Closest church was 15 miles away. So on Sunday morning, I said, well, we're going to go to church today. And we said, where are we going? I said, closest church is up at Adams Run. So we went back and crossed the bridge. Y'all look it up on the map and see where it is. And I went to the church that Sunday and had about 50. This guy preached, did a good job. People were very warm and very friendly. And uh, I, I, I got to talking to them after the service. And they said, well, how did you like our speaker today? I said, he did a good job. He said, you know, he's filling in for us. We don't have a pastor. I said, oh, you don't have a pastor. I said, I know one. I'd never pastored a church in my life. Only preached two sermons. He said, who? I said, me. He said, do you think you could preach for us next Sunday? I said, I think I can work you in my schedule. <laughs> so the next Sunday, now this is, where, this is where God took me to the middle of nowhere and answered prayers. Next Sunday, I preached at Adam's Run. There was a man whose last name was Kennedy, who lived in a little community above there, who was at Hopewell Baptist Church. They did not have a pastor. They met every Sunday at 2 o'clock. And he said, well, listen, would you come and preach for us at 2 o'clock on Sunday? I said, you know, I, I can do that. I can do that. You know what? I preached every Sunday all summer at Hopewell Baptist Church. Preached at another church on a Sunday night. I didn't miss a Sunday. Well, later on in my life, I'd get to the point where I was discouraged. And I'd say, well, God, you know, where are you? I mean, he said, do you remember Edisto Island? Have you forgotten that I answered your prayer, taking you to the middle of nowhere, and gave you a place to preach every Sunday? I said, case closed, Lord. <laughs> now, you, you say, that's not big. It, I just, it's still big to me. It shows me how faithful God is and how faithful God will be to you. You just pray and then you leave the results to him. And it was an awesome thing. And, I, and my wife had to repent. Well, anyway, <laughs> you need to remember God's faithfulness to you in the past. Don't forget all God's done for you when you get in a crisis in a situation and don't know what to do. Just remember you in a covenant relationship with God. Remember that. And remember his awesome power and, 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 and might in the past. And remember his faithfulness to you in the past. So, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You set your face to seek the Lord. This is going to surprise you. In the midst of the battle, you're going to say, why are you saying this, Brother Fred? I'm going to show you. When you're in the midst of the battle and you're crying out to God and you don't know what to do, don't get disappointed. Do not give up when people disappoint you. You know, sometimes people don't understand where you are. Sometimes they don't know what you're going through. Sometimes they don't know how struggling you are. And they come up with these little trite answers. Little, little trite answers. And, and, and they really had not got a clue. And you say, and, 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 and somehow you feel like that, 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 that they're coming against you. And, and you kind of feel disappointed. Man, I, I thought you'd be holding my arms up and help me through this. But you know that's what, ha what happened to Jehoshaphat? Do you know the people that came after Jehoshaphat and Judah were the people when they came out of Israel, Egypt, 
God said to them, don't you bother. You destroy all the other tribes. Don't you touch the Moabites. Leave them alone. Don't you touch the Ammonites. Leave them alone. Well, they had come in there, and they'd wiped out all the other tribes, but they had spared the Moabites and Ammonites. They'd spared them. Well, now here, listen to what uh, Jehoshaphat said in verse 10. Now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Then he goes on in the next verse and says, now, and, and, and says, here they are coming to destroy us. Now, what I want to say, and I'm not just, uh, here, here they are rewarding us. <laughs> these people that we had mercy on, these people that we spared, these people, here they are rewarding us for having mercy on them by coming to throw us out of your possession which you've given to us. You know, over the years in the ministry, I have found some of the greatest people in the world are God's children. I mean, they are the greatest people in the world. None of us are perfect. None of us bat a hundred, a thousand, no. But I'm going to tell you something. Boy, you've got to be in a church where people love you and encourage you. And we have that at Luke 4, 18. I know that, all of us. But I'll be honest with you, sometimes people will rise up against you. The very people you've prayed for, the very people you've helped, the very people you've done, tried to do the right thing, for some reason they don't understand. And maybe that's just in ignorance, but they'll say things and do things that... But I'll tell you what you can't do. You know why he put that in here? Here are those that we d didn't mess up didn't mess with. Here they are coming to reward us by kicking us out of the land. Let me tell you why God put that in there. And you better hear me on this. When you are in a situation where you do not what to do, do not know what to do, you better not get your eyes on people. You better get your eyes on God. You better do it. I mean, people, I love people and people love us, but not, people aren't perfect. And some people think they got the answer when they don't even know the question. So, so just don't get your eyes on people. Keep your eyes on the Lord and remember that he is the one who will deliver you. So you deliberately set your face to seek the Lord. You do not give up when people disappoint you. All right, then this is very important. You remember whose battle it is. So here was the leader, Jehoshaphat, godly king, restored worship to, to Judah and he just said, I, I don't know what to do in verse 12. Here's this great multitude, and I don't know what to do. Well, God raised up a man that was unknown. And, and listen to what it says. Now, all, the, all, the, uh, all of Judah with the little ones and their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Look at this. Now, God's Spirit comes on an unknown person. We, I still don't know who he is. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazahel, the son of Zechariah who was the son of Benaiah, who was the son of Jeel, who was the son of Matanah. I still don't know who he is. <laughs> that does not help me one bit. The son of Matanah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. So here comes uh, Behaziel, or whatever his name was. Jehaziel, listen to what he says. He was speaking to the king, to the ruler, Jehoshaphat. He said, he said listen. All you of Judah, listen, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
Listen, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but, say it, God's. He said, Jehoshaphat, why are you so bent out of shape, man? You've got to understand, this battle is God's battle. He gave you this land. He said, he's not going to let them people take it away. You, you're in God's will. You've returned the people back to God. He said, let me just tell you one thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. This battle is not yours. It is God's. And he goes on in the next verse. Tomorrow, go down against them. Go against the Moabites, the Ammonites. Go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jewel. He said, now that, I want you to go down and I want you to confront the enemy. Now listen to this, boy, this is strong. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Boy, if I say in Jehoshaphat, that sounds good, Lord. Woo. All I'm supposed to do is go down there and stand still. All right, and see the salvation of Lord. For the Lord, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed tomorrow to go out against them, for the Lord is with you. You know, we've got to understand that whatever the battle is, if you're a child of God, if you're a child of God, whatever the battle is, the Lord fights for you. He does. He fights for you. I mean, he said he would. The Lord is my banner. He's the one who goes before. And so what Jehoshaphat had to be reminded of, I don't know how God is going to do it, but this is the battle is the Lord's. And listen, you get to going and things are going on in your life and you feel overwhelmed and there's a struggle and all this stuff and you just forget, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you start trying to do it in the flesh and trying to work it out. And God is trying to say to you, do you not understand? You need to get your eyes on me and let me fight this battle for you. I am fighting for you. I am against you. I'm for you and not against you. The Lord, listen, we'd be amazed how God is fighting his, our battles for us. How Jesus Christ is fighting our battles for us. And he's never lost a battle. Never. And so we've got to remember whose battle it is. I think every Christian ought to have one of these watches that has a little beep on it. You know, you just, at, at a certain hour of the day, it beeps. And then it speaks. The battle is the Lord's. We need to be reminded. I tell you what, I get in the midst of the battle. And Lord, I get all messed up. And I forget, well, God... It's like I'm down here by myself. That's a joke. Lord, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't, be able, wouldn't even be alive. And you're fighting. So listen, let me tell you something. You've got to understand that Jesus loves you. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he lives in you. And I want to tell you this right now. He is faithful. He is faithful. And you keep your eyes on him. And you stand in him in his armor. And you let him fight for you. Now you listen to what he says. And you cooperate with him. 
and you do what he says. But all the time you realize, Lord, you are greater than any force or power that I would, uh, that I would encounter. And you're greater than any circumstance that I would ever incur. And so I am going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. But I understand that it's, I'm not going to win this battle. You're going to win it. And I'm going to give you all the glory. But you know, so what do you do when you don't know what to do? You set your face to re- deliberately set your face to seek God. You remember the God you're seeking, his awesome power, and his faithfulness to you in the past. And you don't get, get disappointed and give up. You don't give up when people disappoint you. You don't do that. You keep your eyes on the Lord. And then you get in the word of God and you allow the Holy Spirit just to remind you this is the Lord's battle. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight. How many times was God's people outnumbered? How many times were they outnumbered? They did not have a chance. Let me ask you a question. What chance did David have against Goliath? What chance did he have? But he said, you know what? He didn't have his eyes on Goliath. He had his eyes on God. You know what he said? Who are you, who are you uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? Wow. He knew whose battle it was, and he knew God would fight it for him. So, but here's, this is the thing that really gripped me the most as I was reading this story. And this is what Josaphat did. I want you to look at this. This is the key to you getting through where you are. This is the key to you seeing God do what God wants to do. Hear me? This is the key. In chapter 20 which we're in the whole chapter. Look at what Jehoshaphat did. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Now I want to tell you something. The next day they were going down to the, the brook Jewel or whatever it was. And there was going to be that vast army of Moabites, Ammonites, and the people from Mount Seir. So what is he doing? He just, he just kind of gets on his face. It says, he, it says he bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all the uh, inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem, and he worshipped the Lord. He worshipped God in the middle of the battle. You know, I think... I, Somehow I could see myself, Lord, uh, I know I need, to, I need to worship you, and I need to get on my face and worship you, but I, let's, let's see about 200 more bites dead, and then it'll be a lot easier for me to worship you. It's easy to worship God when the victory's won. It's easy to worship God when you know the outcome. It's easy to worship God when you know how God's going to do it. But we ain't got a clue. Boy, you're talking about when you want to know what's in your heart. When in the middle of the battle, you get on your face and you worship God. Don't you think about that. Worshiping God. You know your son's in trouble. Been away from God. You got a heavy heart. So what do you do? You worship God in the midst of the battle. You don't focus on 
what he's in or what he's doing. No, you just worship God and say, God, you're faithful. You love him more than I love him. And you, I know, Lord, you will work in his life. I know you will. You're not a man that you could lie. And so you just find yourself, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. It still doesn't look good. I mean, everything, but you just say, no, no. I'm just going to worship God in the middle of this battle. I'm going to give God praise and glory. You know what makes the devil mad as fire? When, the, when, the, when, when you're in the midst of the battle and you, and you start listening to Christian music and go around the house singing praise to God. When you get up in the morning and say, this is the day the Lord has made. Hallelujah. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Jesus is Lord and the devil is defeated. I'm going to tell you, everything changes. Everything changes when you worship God. You know, some of the hardest times is when you lay down in the bed at night. And things aren't right. May not be right with your marriage. May not be right with your children. May not be right with work. And you're just thinking, Lord, I've prayed. I've been faithful as well as I know. But Lord, I, I, I don't know what to do, but i tell you what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to thank you. I'm just going to thank you that you're absolutely in control. And I want to thank you that you're working behind the scenes and you're moving in a way to give me the victory. And so, Lord, I just want to worship you. And what you do, instead of just laying there and letting it go over your mind and you think of all the impossibilities, you just worship God. You just praise him. Sometimes you just get some of the psalms and, that you know and you just quote them from memory. And, and, and let me just say something, y'all. It doesn't take any faith to worship God when the Moabites are dead. It takes faith to worship God when the battle's going on. I want to encourage you to worship God in the middle of the battle. And God will show him strong in your behalf. Well, here's the next thing. Set your face to seek the Lord. Remember the God you're seeking, his awesome power and his faithfulness. Do not give up when people disappoint you or discourage you. Remember whose battle it is. And then you worship God in the midst of the battle. And this comes to one of the most interesting parts of the whole, of the whole encounter to Josaphat. I want you to listen to this. Remember, God often gives the victory in unexpected ways. So only God will get the glory. You know, we have it all figured out. Well, this is the way God's going to solve this situation. This is the way God's going to bring me through. This is the way it's all going to pan out. And you, we got it all figured out 90% of the time. It never works that way. Because I'm going to tell you about God. He often gives the victory in an unexpected way. So only he will get the glory. If you figured it out, and if you had it all, no. He wants you to know that you really did not know what to do. And you really were helpless. But he comes and gives you the victory in an unexpected way. Boy, I tell you, this was amazing. How they did this. Look it up. Verse 21. I just almost laugh every time I read this. It says, and when he had consulted with the people, they were fixing to go to battle. He'd finished worshiping God. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord. 
Now, come on. He had a choir practice. Give me a break. We are going to battle, and it is not time for choir practice. Ed may disagree, but I'm telling you, it's not time. I, 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 was, I said, Joshua, what in the world are you doing? They got spears and shields and swords. It says, and we did consulted with the people. He appointed those who should sing to the Lord and, sing, and should praise the beauty of his holiness. So he said, I want volunteers. And so they volunteers. They were bass and bass, bass and tenors and altos and whatever they are. I mean, sopranos. They all volunteered. And I volunteered. I said, I'm going to be in the army. Guess what? I'm, I'm fixing to drop out. Look at this. When he had consulted the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, praise the beauty of holiness, and they went out before the army. I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. The army's got the shields, and they got the spears, and they got the sword, and all I have is a hymn book. I am not going out before the army. Now, that's exactly what's happening. I'm telling you. <laughs> and they went out before the army saying, Praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Have you ever seen anything like it? I mean, here they go to battle, and here goes the choir in front, and they just sing and praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. Well, look what happens. <laughs> when they begin to sing, you know, God gives the victory in unexpected ways. When they begin to sing, pray, and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir. The Lord set an ambush who had come against Judah and they were defeated. Well, how did they get defeated? All the people had done it saying two verses. This is what it says. And the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and they utterly killed them and destroyed them. So the Moabites and Ammonites got together and they just wiped out the people from Mount Seir. And then guess what they did? And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy each other. They destroyed the Ammonites, um, the, the Mo, uh, people of Mount Seir. Then they fought, and, and the Moabites and uh, Ammonites killed each other, and they were all dead. But that was some powerful singing, I'm going to say that. <laughs> well, why in the world did God do it that way? Why did he do that? He let David go against Goliath with a slingshot. He did. He told Gideon and the army to get down to three. And then he told them how to fight. Well, why, why did God do it that way? Because the next day, old Jehoshaphat said, Well, folks, don't you see what a mighty God we have? Boy, he really fought that battle for us, didn't he? I had a great battle plan, didn't I? He said, I'd make Napoleon be ashamed. I had a great battle plan. We just... Got a choir together, sang the first, second, and fourth verses of a hymn, and wiped them out. You say, why didn't they sing the fourth, third verse? We never do. <laughs> I grew up in church, and so help me, I don't know why they wrote a third verse. You know why they were trying to get through so the preacher wouldn't preach too long. It don't work here. But anyway, they were trying to do it. Listen, in my life, seldom... Has God given me the victory the way I expected him to do it? And all I could do was just stand back and say, man, this is the Lord's doing. 
and is marvelous to behold. All glory and praise to the Lamb of God. Oh, God gives the victory in unexpected ways so that only he will get the glory. But now this last verse, the last thing I'm going to tell you, it's going to shock you. But everywhere I've preached this message, God has used it to take a person that was in the pit of discouragement and bring them out and give them hope and set them back on the right path. After the Moabites and Ammonites had killed each other and the people of Mount Seir, you know what the Israelites did? The people of Judah, they went down to the valley, stay with me now, where they were going to be destroyed, where they didn't have a chance. They went down to the valley of Baraka. And I want you to listen to what it said. So they came to Jerusalem with string instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. This is supposed to be verse, no, we're supposed to be at verse 21. No, we're supposed to be at verse 26. Verse 26, go back. On the fourth day, on the fourth day, they had won the victory. God had given them the victory. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka. For there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place that was called the valley of Baraka to this day. Now they went down into the valley where they were going to be destroyed. And they named that valley the place of blessing. And here's the message. In the very place they were going to be, were supposed to be destroyed. God had turned the tables on the enemy. And now instead of calling it the place of destruction, they called it the valley of blessing. You know, there's somebody here today that you've messed up in your life along the way. You messed up. Some of some it was worse than others. But you just blew it bad. We all blow it, but this was bad. And the devil comes to you and whispers, you'll never get over that. You'll never get over that. You're finished. God's going to put you on the shelf. And you'll just have to be a spectator. You, it's over with you. The devil's a liar. It's a, he's a liar. The only thing is you believed him. You said, well, I know you've forgiven me, Lord, but I'm finished. I'll just sit in the stands and watch others. It's over for me. But you know what God has a way of doing? He has a way of taking you down into the valley where you were supposed to be destroyed. And show you his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, and say to you, it's not over. The devil does not have the final word. This valley is not the place of destruction for you. God's going to take it and it's going to turn it into a blessing in your life. Well, I noticed I was preaching this in Chattanooga. I think it was someplace in Tennessee. I saw a man standing over next to the organ, the piano. He was in his mid-60s. And he was just standing there. I went over there and I said, what's going on? 
He said, you know, Brother Fred, 35 years ago I messed up. And the devil told me I was finished. And for 35 years, I've lived in discouragement, despair, felt condemned. I said, but you know, tonight God showed me that what the devil had meant to destroy me, if I would turn to Jesus with my whole heart, God could turn the tables on the devil and use it to bless me. And you know I've seen God do that. Not that it wasn't serious what happened. But God, has a, God is the God of restoring. He's the God of restoration. He's not the God of a second chance. He's the God of many chances. And I'm telling you, the devil's told you, you're finished. You're not ever going to be, you'll be a second class Christian the rest of your life. You're just going to struggle through. You might as well accept it. That is a lie. Go down into the valley where the enemy thought he had defeated you for good and you get your eyes on Jesus and you thank him for his mercy and his grace and that he's the God that restores and that your life is not over and you can finish well. You do not know how many people I have seen that this gave them hope because it is hope. And you may get to the place one day in your life and that's exactly what you need for God to do to you and say to you, the devil does not have the final word. So let me close by saying, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You deliberately set your face to seek the Lord. Remember the God you're seeking. He's a covenant-making God. Remember his awesome power and remember his faithfulness to you in the past. And don't you give up when people disappoint you. And discourage you. And as the battle rages around you. Just constantly remember. The battle is the Lord's. Jesus is fighting for me. The Lord is my banner. And then. When it just seems like it's at the worst. You just get on your face. Or any way you can. And you just worship God. And I mean just worship him. And praise him. That he is on the throne. And he is a victor. And the victory. I'm telling you. You just need to worship God. Then you just watch God give you the victory in an unexpected way. And you'll give him all the glory. And remember this. It was supposed to be the valley of destruction. But they named it the valley of blessing. Because God gave them another chance. And that's exactly what God wants to do for you. I guess in the last three weeks, I've, I've heard two people say... And they didn't know I was overheard. I heard them say, well, I don't know what to do. I heard three people say. I heard two. And then I heard myself. <laughs> Lord, I don't know what to do. He says, you do. You know what to do. But you know what? You get so beat up and it gets so frantic and things that get so difficult you, you, you sometimes you just say, well, why in the world can't I focus in on the living God? And, and so you have to, man, you just have to go after it. Because the devil is never, he never, you know when he loves to kick you? When you're down. And that's why you got to say, I ain't staying down. 
by God's power and the Holy Spirit and by Jesus' grace, I'm getting up.